0: Hey, welcome to the Product Leadership Podcast from Lighthouse London, where we talk about how to validate, launch, and maintain successful digital products with product owners, innovators, digital experts, and founders. Lighthouse London are a digital design and product development team who spent the last 10 years helping people conceive, build, and steer digital products. You can find out more about us and more podcast episodes at wearelighthouse.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, I'm pleased today to be joined by Jonathan Hollis from Mountside Ventures. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Why don't we start with a background about you and Mountside for people listening?
1: Sure. So we we set up uh, Mountside with the purpose of making the fundraising process for startups and investors much more efficient. Um, So typically founders might spend nine to 12 months on their fundraise, investors are continually looking for for deal flow so we thought there's a number of ways that we can uh, do to actually make that process better for both the startup but also for the investors Uh, and i set that up with a couple of colleagues from pwc and prior to mountainside ventures uh, we set up pwc's early stage startup propositions over the last couple of years
0: awesome and um and today i think we're going to be talking about um funding as a whole, you know, the, the routes that people can go to to get funding, how, how you guys might help, um, but a kind of broader picture of the um, of the funding world. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. And I'd love to share a little bit about why and how we're set up to support entrepreneurs and therefore um, give you a bit of flavour as to some of the process that requires some of the preparation that you can do before fundraise um, to eliminate much of the disruption that's typically associated when, when startups go, go out and about uh, to market.
0: Nice, um, sounds great. I mean, we, we get lots of people asking us about how to, to go about doing this um, a lot of the time because we work with startups and have done for, for some time. So I'm sure I'll learn quite a lot today as well. Um, so let's start with uh, the, the world of funding and, and the, the kind of basics uh, and intro to that.
1: Sure, so, so typically in the UK um, has been in a rather privileged position over the last decade or so. Um, The government a long time ago set up a number of different tax tax efficient schemes um, centred around EIS and VCT funds that effectively gave a whole bunch of incentives for individuals to invest in early stage companies. Um, This came through tax breaks, so lower in their income tax liability. And all these things meant that actually uh, a lot of high net worth individuals and a lot of investors could invest in startups and take significantly less risk uh, based on some of the benefits that HMRC provided, and and this in itself was a bit of a catalyst for making the UK and you know London the centre for much of the venture world um, across Europe. Um, and so, if you're an investor or if you're, if you're a professional investor, you could effectively invest in companies and and, and get um, a high percentage back straight from the tax man. And then, if that company then went on to um to fail like you know many many companies do unfortunately um you would then get a further rebate back from your income tax liability so this this is one of the key reasons why the uk is is where it is Um, so one of those most common funding options for when you're starting a business is through of course family friends and your own your own funds but once you've once you've gone through that process the next one is through se seis and eis funding Um, which is this tax-efficient schemes that I'm referring to and you can often um, get investment from 150k for SEIS and um, significantly more under EIS um, structure Uh, and this can be both from individual investors, um, so angels, or it can be channeled through a institutional investor, so a fund. Other sources um, outside the venture world, and there's a number of different um, options available to you as, as a founder, um, include corporate venture capital, so receiving money from a large corporate themselves. Um, so a couple of reasons why they might do that. So they might want to invest in you as a, as a business to save their own skin. You know, they might be worried that you might want to be a competitor. So why not take a chunk of equity in one of their competing businesses? or they may invest in you specifically to um, use and implement the technologies that you've got on offer. So this could be, you know, to reduce their costs or to to increase the way they um, can provide better customer um, service to their existing clients by leveraging some of the technologies. You may go straight to angels and family offices. So an angel is just an individual with, with a significant amount of capital who's interested in investing in an early stage company. And a family office is simply that same individual who may have already made their millions and now they're looking to um, invest professionally into organizations and therefore structure that investment a bit more formally um, through a family office, either in-house or, um, or outsourced. Um, and other, other options might include the government support that we've seen recently through COVID, so this could be through the Future Fund, um, or it could be through the various different initiatives, the grants and loans that the government have have produced, and also, of course, debt. But but typically, loans and debt are more relevant for companies that are EBITDA positive, um, i.e. when there's more money coming in than than money going out. And of course, for many early stage companies, um, the opposite, of course, is is true.
0: It'd be good to to move on to, your kind of uh, how people would go about choosing the right thing for them um, and maybe the kind of process that you'd run through with people to, to kind of attract investors uh, and start that engagement going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if um, companies might want to you know, work with an advisor, but if, if they don't, that's absolutely fine. And there's a couple of things that um, you, if you're looking to raise now in the future, you it can absolutely do to make your life a lot easier. Um, so the way um, first thing you need to do is, is prepare. and the biggest mistake that founders make is they go out to the market with a with a deck. They haven't really thought about the possible questions that investors might ask, such as you know what size of the market you're going after how how ready is your product? Do you have product market fit? Um, tell us a bit about your team, Tell us about your competitors. And often the what slows down founders from actually, receiving capital is having to answer these specific questions to different investors and that takes a considerable amount of time so the first thing you can do is prepare yourself with a very clear deck a very clear model and a very clear business plan so we, we quite like the business plan feels a bit like you're back at school doing your enterprise so we, we quite like to call that the investor FAQ ie the list of all the possible questions that the investors may ask you and by preparing those questions a increases competitive tension because it shows that if an investor asks you a particular question and you've got the answer for it it's not the first time that you've been asked that question, which implies others uh, other interested parties in the race and b it just saves you a lot of time so if you're a founder and you have to answer and you have to answer question time and time again it just takes a long time and actually um, if you have to create a model from scratch when asked for a model um, that could be one week two week delay and different investors have obviously got different appetites. So the first thing you can do is is prepare. The, the second thing you can do is research the investors before you actually meet them. Um, there's a number of different resources online, and we, we can you know, we can share things that, that we've put online on our website. But but typically, factors like does the investor have any capital to to deploy? You know, are they halfway through deploying their capital, or are they the very start of a fundraising journey? Do they actually have money? to inject in your business, question number one. Question number two is, are you with the right ticket size? So if a fund has a 50 million pound fund and you're raising a couple hundred K, clearly that 50 million pound fund is unlikely to be relevant for you because the economics involved in them closing a couple hundred K um, deal will be similar to the economics involved in them closing two to three million. And a 50 million pound fund is much more likely to be investing at the higher range than the lower range. So the second question is, you know, how what, what's their typical check size? Minimum, maximum, and do you fall within this bucket? And then of course the third question is all around the the sector of choice. So do you do you fit their remit? And are you an Edtech business? Are you a know, digital agency business? Are you a business that falls into their specific mandate? And if the answer to those three questions is yes, then it's probably worth pursuing and engaging with that investor. Um, and and that initial filtering can save you fifty, and even even hundreds of, of, of meetings. And then and then the third thing you can do is really fundraise when you've hit the metrics that is typically associated with um, with that raise. So if you're looking to raise a couple of million pounds and looking to give 20% of your business away with a valuation of, uh, of, of 10 million, then it's likely that you'll need half a mil, one million, two million of revenue in order to be able to secure um, the, that funding at that high valuation. If you're raising a couple of hundred thousand and you're pre-revenue with a valuation of maybe two, three, four million, then of course you won't need to hit those revenue metrics and there will be an, e- an easier easier to raise um, that sum of money so but you know before going out it's also important to understand what stage you're in and ensure that your expectations are reasonable such that you don't get the same message again and again from investors because the 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 most common uh, message you get back from from vc specifically is that you're too early
0: So, I mean, it kind of sounds like a standard matchmaking thing. Certainly, when you're going out to find your investors, I mean, is it quite common that people get this really wrong? Because it seems to me obvious that you pick pick the people in the right sector. You know, make sure you're you're kind of reaching out to people that are going to engage with you the most. Is that a really common thing for people to get wrong?
1: Unfortunately, yes, it is. It does. The way you you've described it, actually, it is a lot. A lot of this is is common sense, Um, but unfortunately, people just go out and you know. If, if, if i was speaking to a fund this morning and 50 percent of the um, inbound cold emails they receive are from entrepreneurs that haven't read um their website haven't read their thesis and if it's a series b fund or asking for half a million pounds or if it's a you know if you're if you're if it's a kind of seed stage fund or asking for a couple million they just haven't done this the these basic checks and and i guess the reason for our existence is That takes time, fundraising takes time if you're a founder, it takes time away from running your business and actually by engaging with with someone who's done a bit more prep than you, it probably makes sense and it can save you three to four months of, of pain along the journey. Hey, it's Alice from Lighthouse here. We really enjoy working with companies who are disrupting their industries. Our idea to launch process helps them bring new ideas to market quickly and efficiently. We bring a ready built expert team and proven frameworks that help take ideas from concept through to MVP and beyond. If you want to get disruptive with us, find out more at
0: wearelighthouse.com forward slash idea. Where do you guys come in then? What, what would your role be in this and how do you handhold people through the process?
1: Um, so, so our role comes in uh, from, from the start. Um, so there's a number of uh, you know one-man bands out there that that just charge for the introduction we we're, we're, we're believers that actually to provide a well-rounded service on on their on their fundraising journey, we want to cover um, as much ground as possible and really support them from the start of the fundraising process around um, supporting them with their documents, supporting them through um, their business plan, their their pitch deck, their data room, their financial model, and actually equipping them with the tools and templates that that is relevant for their fund size, so helping them effectively get investor ready in a nutshell, all the way to introducing them to relevant investors who have capital to deploy, who are relevant for their own sector. And ultimately, and this is where a lot of the value um, that we get told from people that we've worked with come from actually supporting them in negotiating um, the the term sheet at the end. Um, So we've seen a number of these term sheets from different investors and actually we can be in a good position to say this is market standard this isn't and maybe have some of those more difficult conversations with the investor um, directly
0: and do you generally deal with people who've not gone through this before or are you who are often helping people several times go through different um, rounds of funding
1: uh, it's, it's been a real mix um, so typically we like to work with companies that have got some seed money got some angel money and they're, and they're going through their their first or second institutional round they they can have they could have um, you know got maybe three, four million pounds from a from a series A investor and actually be looking for their for the next round of funding. And we can absolutely support them on that later round as well, because there are some new nuances between different funds and actually between between the different funding rounds. Um sometimes the, the founder gets lucky and the series A investor part of their job is to source them and find them a, a decent Series B investor. Um, but often, you know, there's other things on their minds, and they might have other portfolio companies that they need to work with. So we can come in and support support that um, that side of things. And a lot of our inbound referrals actually come in from seed um, investors. So a, a seed investor might put in a, a million pounds into a company, and they're looking to bring their company into the market and to raise a, a bigger round. So they might introduce us um, to that particular startup, and then we would then um support them on, on their next round of funding.
0: And so for someone who is um, attempting to do this on their own, how, how would they go and find investors? What, what advice would you give them to, to kind of start to build up a, a load of people they might go and uh, approach?
1: So we've, we've actually um, published a list of active investors, 150 funds that have recently raised capital themselves um, in the last nine months. You can find that on our website and that's available with fund names, fund size and and fund dates. Alongside that list, we've also published um, 30 or so investors that have deployed capital in the last um, four weeks. Um, And so the best way of knowing which funds are really active and uh, actually actively deploying, is just to look at the data. Um, Otherwise, there are a number of other lists online that you can find of investors um, who might be relevant for, for your different sectors. Hey, this is Russ. Uh, recently, we've been helping our clients overcome huge, complex problems using design sprints. Um, it's a really interesting tool for us to to get in a room with a client, you know, share this this big workspace and come up with lots of ideas um, and solutions for big problems. Um, if that sounds like something that you could be interested in, uh, head over to wearelighthouse.com for more.
0: And so you mentioned government stuff as well. Like, how much do you know about that, and how people would go around uh, approaching these government funds, or is that that not really the area that you get involved in?
1: Yeah, so, so government funding um, has been changing week by week, it seems, and the government is continually looking at ways of supporting um, additional early stage companies. So the, the number of ways currently, um, the most significant advancement it did was on the future funds. And um, this is around 250 million pounds, but this was a pot of money Um, that was uh, going to be matched by private capital going into early stage companies. There were two main problems with it. The first one is it only impacted companies um, who have already raised £250,000 beforehand. And then the second problem was that it didn't didn't impact the ones that um, were benefiting already from the uh, tax efficient schemes I mentioned at the start of the session. But having said that, I think there was an overwhelming support when it did come out because it was aimed specifically at these loss-making companies. You, You may recall when the government announced all the loans, actually the issue with early stage companies is that they are not profitable yet. And therefore, the majority of loans, irrespective of COVID, would not have been applicable to those companies. The second bucket are loans and, and grants, and I think there's a fifty thousand pound loan, there's a five thousand pound grant. But these are fairly material if you're looking at growing um, uh, and, and if you're a scale up rather than a startup. So the, the government has done their bit. Um, you can argue that you know startups and early stage companies isn't the priority because the majority of people employed in the UK aren't. Um, from very early stage companies, and therefore the government had to prioritize the large corporates. But I think now it's come into more um, pressure from some of the startup lobby groups, and also probably a realization that many of the large corporates themselves will want startups, and actually, a lot of the growth. Um, that's being driven from the economy down to some of these early stage technology companies
0: yeah i mean it, it it's great great for everyone involved really because obviously there's a lot of um cool stuff coming out of the uk you know we've we've always been pretty respected um as a place where startups can grow and thrive um so it is good to see the government doing stuff there
1: exactly and and, and as i mentioned at the start you know the the uk we're, we're privileged in the sense that we're probably the only and the only nation in Europe with such such great incentives. France, and, and I know President Macron is now looking to follow the lead. He, you know, he announced a tourist visa a couple of years ago. Now he's looking at ways of supporting and incentivizing a structure much like the EIS and SEIS structures in the UK. But really the government has done a lot for, for companies through the grants, through R&D credits, through all of its different schemes.
0: Yeah, yeah, we get our R and D credits every year. It's um, it's very helpful. Uh, it's all, all good stuff to be um, taken advantage of. Um, I didn't realise it was quite unique to the UK. I, I didn't realise that there was um, that, that wasn't common around the rest of um, Europe or, or the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, you essentially get half of your money back when you invest in the startup through if you can afford it on your income tax liability, which is insane, really. If you think about it. And, and some people are even talking about how they should increase that to 70, 80, 90%. Wow. Imagine investing. Imagine if you're, you know, and this is for individuals that have, have got a considerable pot of money. You know, imagine an investment banker who's earning £300,000 a year and, and that investment banker pays, you know, what I don't know, 150000 in tax. They can um, invest in a company and they can claim back a lot of that investment through a lower tax liability. And a lot of people are now lobbying the government to increase that to eighty to ninety percent, which means in effect that if you're putting in two hundred k into a company, you may, if successful, only actually be um, taking a hit on twenty thousand pounds.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it means it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Really. I mean, exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. And it's this um, no-brainer that has driven um, the early stage um, funding market in the UK.
0: Interesting. That's really cool. Um, I mean, you you mentioned coronavirus there, COVID. Uh, We are deep in the midst of it. Um, Has that changed uh, the other aspect, you know, the the kind of funding process or the the appetite for um, investing in in startups at the moment, do you think?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's been probably a mixed response. Um, So some funds were already very well prepared for remote investing. Um, Some funds weren't, weren't at all. And so the ones who had already started investing on a remote basis, of course, were, already, were, were ready, were prepared. For the ones that preferred face-to-face meetings, that was very difficult. Um, I think the vast majority of uh, investors, I would say, are still uh, quite cautious about injecting half a million, one million, two million or more capital into a company they've never met face-to-face. Um, because there's you know, an, an element of human chemistry there and understanding really what the aspirations and ambitions of, of a founder. You, you, you speak to investors and you ask them, what is the principal driver for investing in the company? Nine out of 10 of them will say team. And, and the team is the single biggest determinant of success and failure.
0: So you can imagine that things will, I mean, just as everyone else has had to adapt, uh, you know, it doesn't look like our working situation is gonna change hugely in the next uh, weeks or months. So I, I'm assuming they're gonna have to get used to how they continue to do business and, um, and and kind of overcome that.
1: Absolutely, which is why we shared the the list of those funds that were active recently and also active from a fund's perspective, because there, there are also a lot of funds that aren't gonna be deploying capital in the next six months. Because um, if, you, if you put yourself in, in the fund's shoes, why on earth would you invest in new companies when you have a portfolio maybe 15 companies in your own portfolio that's in need of capital or that's in need of support if i have a certain amount of hours in the day and i've got 15 companies that are at risk you know it makes sense for me to spend my time supporting those companies
0: absolutely makes total sense and uh, the, the links to those blog posts will be in the uh, show notes of this so people can check them out there my only real experience of um investing is watching dragon's den so how much like that is it in real life
1: and there's some there's some points that actually uh um, are true and some points that aren't Uh, the points that are definitely true is the preparation bit i mentioned at the start and the fact that you only get you know you only get one time to make a a first impression there's no second the second chances but the the negotiation that you see um, clearly is um is i wouldn't say is um is fictional but actually the the issue with it is they film and we had a couple of uh, clients go through the process you know the the filming might take an hour oh i bet yeah um and they and they show three minutes hmm. uh, and so in fact if you saw the whole hour maybe it might be a bit more realistic
0: i'm assuming they don't have stacks of cash sitting around as well like
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the footage they show is uh, glorifies it a little bit but i'm sure the the full hour of a pitch and the q a might resemble a lot of a lot of the meetings, but, but unfortunately, it's not a good telly,
0: is it? No, <laughs> that'd be pretty dull stuff. Um, oh, that's great stuff. Um, is there anything else you want to add?
1: Maybe, maybe uh, touching upon a um, little bit around um, the VC fundraising journey, because often this is one of the things that um, founders don't often realise that investors and, and VCs fundraise themselves, and they go through the very similar pains. Than, than a founder does uh, but instead of taking maybe six to nine months it takes them two to three years um, and they have their own investors uh, to worry about and so often the advice we give founders is to really understand um, the process from their point of view and actually the partner and the, the manager and the director that you're speaking to has likely gone through a very similar process with their investors um, and when they're asking for you know, different questions around your model and around your business plan and your competitive analysis. Sometimes those aren't questions that they particularly need to answer, but their investors themselves need to answer. So when they're pitching um, your business in front of their investment committee, they're also a need to satisfy their own shareholders and investors that your business is, is suitable. And so a lot of the time, the key difference between pitching to an angel or pitching to family is that you can look at them in the eye and say, yep, this business is great. I'm going to invest in, in him or her. Whereas the key difference between your institutional round is that the people you're dealing with, it's not their money. They're managing it on behalf of someone else. And so if you remember that whilst they're asking you all these um, complicated questions around your business and around your model, you know, why produce a five-year financial model? Who knows where you'll be, you know, in two years' time, let alone in one month's time? Often, the answer lies behind the fact that they need to then pitch your business to their own team and then to their own investors, and that difference often explains a lot of the process that founders have to go through.
0: Awesome stuff. Well, I think that's been really interesting. Um, I've certainly learned loads. Um... And now I'm pretty sure that I can put together a really good pitch for Lighthouse and make uh, several million pounds for us. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so where can people find you online if they want to find out more about you and, and Mountside Ventures?
1: Um, if they just Google Mountside Ventures, I'm sure they'll find us on um, on Google. We've got a bunch of resources. Uh, we've got lists, uh, VC lists are active. We've got some tips on pitching remotely, There's some um, resources on there, whether to check um, if you're um, ready for institutional round or not. And um, also our latest article is also around how to structure your pitch deck. So before you um, pitch Lighthouse for those couple of million, it's (laughs) worth um, figuring out how you want to, um, what contents to put in your pitch deck.
0: Well, nice one. Thanks so much for your time. Um, Really good to talk to you. And uh, yeah, cheers for everyone for listening. Speak to you again soon. thanks for listening if you want more product leadership content then head over to the lighthouse site we for more podcasts and blogs to find out more about our product leadership framework check out we forward slash plf find us on twitter using at we lighthouse and if you've enjoyed the show then we'd love a rating in itunes to help spread the word don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to see the archive and get any future shows until next time we'll see you then